Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. James Varney. We welcome you in. Good morning. The title of your investigative report that you've put together, where did all the Biden illegal immigrants go? As we talk about, you're talking about sanctuary cities like Philadelphia here are only part of the answer. Good morning, James. Hi, John. How are you? Doing great. So take us through this. And um, I will just ask you, because you've been living in, I know how it is when you're living and breathing an investigation like this and looking at the issues when you see the whistleblower um, testifying, talking about these these allegations that that children are being trafficked and using the open southern border. Just your reaction to that developing story. Well, it's depressing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that everybody's aware that what's been coming across the southern border isn't just people looking for a better economic opportunity. Uh, The fentanyl has been pouring across. The traffickers have been busy. It has enriched the cartels. There's just a whole slew of negative consequences to this that go far beyond the 5.2 million people or whatever it might be, since we don't even know for sure, uh, that have come across since uh, Biden opened the border. Yeah, and you you list the official number of encounters uh, by CBP, 5.2 million people over the last two full federal fiscal years um, through March. That's that's amazing, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Right, because uh, part of that number is repeat encounters. I'm not sure what percentage of that. And then that's just the people that the Border Patrol has encountered. So all the, there's 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 many more that, that we just don't know about because they, they never ran into Border Patrol. And and the, the numbers have gotten to a point now where, one, nobody knows what they really are. And two, nothing here is is equipped to handle this kind of, you know, a, a brand new Houston uh, is something bigger than Chicago uh, taking place. You saw probably a story this week that said people are now waiting 10 years for a court hearing. Now, they're free to work and live in the U.S., it says, uh, over that decade. Uh, so it's, it's almost as if if you come across the border now, it's, it's, it's over. You've, you've done it, and you don't really face any consequences at all because the numbers are so great that we cannot absorb them in any kind of fashion that we're used to. Yeah, and you go through, you know, what, for example, New York City Mayor Eric Adams asking for more than right. $500 million in federal aid. Can you take us through that, the cost of this to taxpayers in cities like 
New York, uh, whether it's New York, Chicago, here in Philadelphia, across the country? Well, Adams is an interesting case, right? Because like you just said, he, he asked for $500 million, but he's, he's put the cost sometimes at $2 billion and other times at $3 billion. And the New York Post did a look at something that was happening about a month ago there and estimated that they were spending about $5 million a day. Oh now, that's, that's just New York. And it seems to us, and I think most people would look at it and think the numbers seem a little squirrely, right? Because yeah. Adams is talking in that, that report that the Post was talking about. He used a figure of 12,700 immigrants. Well, it must be more than that. Uh, they often will even say 20,000 immigrants. Well, it's got to be more than that. Uh, so they're either not being upfront about how many people are there uh, because they want to they don't want to acknowledge how big the problem is or they're asking for for the money that that covers many more immigrants than than they're saying because they're more than happy to to take the money so there we again get into the sort of squirrely math that seems to surround the whole issue uh, the overall excuse me the overall cost to the country is also something that's becoming more difficult to ascertain because people are becoming a little more skittish about releasing the numbers and the Biden administration in some cases is kind of actively working to obscure the numbers. But uh, we came well, we didn't come up with it. The foundation, the fair came up with it of a cost of $150.7 billion a year for the total cost. Uh, that's for the entire country. But the story that we were talking about is that these cities that are seeing it, their budgets, which are many of them already in the in the red, cannot take it. Yeah, I, I saw one. There was one report, an estimate, and it was Fox News, but they were quoting a, the fair study estimates, <laughs> talking about taxpayers, $151 billion a year, according to that study, 30% <laughs> increase since 2017. And so I know in Philadelphia, we... For example, we had when the buses of, of migrants were coming in, there were stories about the fact that, you know, they were greeted with a lot of fanfare and there were volunteer organizations, city organizations. And when some of the especially some of the men who came in or the dads who came in, they said um, they learned they were told by city of city workers there that they were not allowed to work right away because they had to go through some paperwork and they left Philadelphia. And I thought, wow, you know, these people are here. These these folks are coming here to work and they are the ones coming for a better life. Right. Leaving the Mm -hmm. city and going out. And we don't know where did they go, but they're not staying in the city. That's another piece of this. That's that's crazy to me that it doesn't seem like anybody's tracking these individuals because maybe it's a political nightmare to have to admit to your point as to how many people actually have come in. Right. And and that goes back even, you remember last year, there was a sort of a spate of stories about how they were flying people. Pennsylvania was one of the destinations yes. that they were flying people to at 2, 3, 4 a.m. Uh, and nobody would say what was going on there. And as far as I, I haven't been able to figure out exactly how much, how many such flights went on or how much we spent on that. And uh, you, what you find in a number of cases outside of those cities is there's a, a vast array of, of NGO and sort of religious organizations that are structured to help this. And they, are, they have contracted with the federal government for billions more. 
and and they won't tell you what they're doing or how many people that, that, that they're serving. It's as if everybody's just put this clamp on it because nobody wants to really face up to how much it's going to cost and, and, and how much they're spending or because they don't want to admit that they've essentially opened the border and they support that. So both of those forces are working against people getting a very clear idea of just how much money is getting spent. Yeah, it's amazing to me the lack of, of transparency and whether mm-hmm. it's this issue or so many others. But when you think about this, it's it's official stonewalling. So what's your, your take on this? You, we know that it's an historic influx of illegal folks, and it's not just people from South America, right? That dozens of countries, we don't even know, but they say dozens of countries come in, you know, people from originating from as far as India, for example, Africa. I mean, all over the world are just saying, woohoo, open border coming through. Who's tracking it or how do we track it? I don't know that anybody's got a solid, reliable figure for that, for all the different countries you're talking about. And you even have situations now where um, established communities of immigrants. So, for example, Haitians, a lot of them, you know, we all know the terrible things that have happened in Haiti with earthquakes and political unrest, et cetera. A lot of them have left Haiti years ago and they had established communities in various parts of South America. They've now left. To come to the U.S. because now the U.S. is 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 open. So it's not all even people fleeing. You know, you, you get this impression that everybody that lives in El Salvador is like cowering in their house at night because there's wild gunfire in the streets. Or if you're in San Pedro Sula in Honduras, the same thing. A lot of these people are coming from established places, not terror, poverty-stricken holes. There is that. I don't. I don't mean to say that. A lot of people aren't facing desperate situations in other parts of the world because we all know that they are. But it's not exclusively that. And so what we have now is all these people are under this new asylum umbrella because you can just come to the United States and say, I'm seeking asylum. And it's almost impossible to check. I mean, there's no way to go back to some of these countries and find reliable records to see whether or not it's the case for each individual person if you really even tried to do that for the hundreds of thousands of people that we're talking about. And so consequently, you, like you were saying, there's people from all over the world that are coming because the signal has been pretty clear, I think, and unmistakable to those communities that the U.S. is open. And so for the longest time, and I don't see it in the headlines as much, but obviously we're coming closer and closer to May 11. And that, of course, is the day that we've ex- we're expected that the country's emergency response to COVID-19 would end, which means we have that. And I know Sup- the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, has gotten involved with that one. But with regard to Title 42, how do you think that will, if Title 42, with that ending, and as we're dealing with that, how do you think this all plays out over the summer? That's really hard to say. I think that you're always probably going to find uh, a little bit of a spurt at the beginning of the summer and, and toward the end of summer when the, when the weather's good. You also have uh, what's, what's becoming the end of the dry season in Latin America. Um, that happens right about now. And then the, the dry season probably reaches its peak around September and October. So that's the time for the people to go. I, I don't really know... 
it's hard to say how how much Title 42 is holding it back right now. We know that the Biden administration has worked a long time to get rid of that, really, from the moment they took office. And as you pointed out, it's sort of been held up in the courts. So I, it's hard for me to say because I don't know what's going to happen, obviously, with the Supreme Court. And it's hard to say because you don't know exactly what point in time between now and the end of the summer is going to be the peak time for for people from that part of the world to to come north. But you have to assume uh, that if it gets lifted, since it's been one of the more potent weapons we've had to try and at least stem some of the the flow, uh, that it'll get worse if it goes away. Yeah, I know Department of Homeland Security was expected to announce, you know, they could reinforce some of the challenges to seeking asylum. Um, we had heard that, and I know that some of the border communities there, especially in Texas, are very nervous about that. I Sometimes I monitor those local stations and so on and so forth. I also wonder, moving into 2024, we have this huge group of, you know, this this really historic level of, you know, immigrants and migration, how that impacts the upcoming, you know, 2024 presidential election. And I think mm-hmm. that maybe the Biden administration, maybe people think, oh, well, they're all going to vote for Biden. The fact that it's a hot mess, I don't know that that's necessarily a lock politically. Yeah, we, we've seen some. Oh boy, that's a really murky tea leaf. <laughs> you know, you've seen some indication that a lot of the people that have worked really hard to get here and certainly played by the rules, they look askance at, at what's happening. Uh, on the other hand, you do find that historically and traditionally they have been largely democratic. So I think any change you might see in those voting patterns is, is going to be small. I, I do. I really don't think that, that I think that Republicans and conservatives who feel like this is a real growth area for them. Uh, it might be, but I don't think that 2024, you're going to see some huge tsunami of votes from the Latino community that's established here in the U.S. Uh, vote Republican because they're against what's happening. That's just a guess, though. Yeah, I just thought I'd pick your brains on that one since we're, I don't know. <laughs> I love, to, I, you know, I love to speculate on that stuff and think about it because I think sometimes people just put people into a box. We all like to do that nowadays and say, oh, well, they came mm-hmm. over under the Biden administration. They're all going to vote in the D column. And I and I actually disagree. I think that it, it that's not a lock at all. So I'd love to look, look well, ahead. In, in theory, these people can't vote. I mean, the, the people that are coming across do not have the, the, the franchise here in the U.S. Now, you know, then you're getting into really a question about really what is the end game for all of this? And is it to give them the vote because they think that they're going to vote Democratic? Um, and is this also maybe why the Biden administration has worked so hard to sprinkle them within different communities through midnight flights and things like that? Because you can sort of purple parts of the country mm-hmm. uh, if you were to give them the vote. But I don't know that anybody has shown their hand on that yet. And I think everybody's kind of scratching their head wondering, what is the end game of five, of more than 5 million people? It's unbelievable. And I don't know. Yeah. James Varney, thank you so much for letting us pick your brains and sharing your insights. It's another important Real Clear Investigations report. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me, Don. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.